fine, um, but you can just say um, I'm operating in multiple different fields. Yeah. Um, my main kind of value proposition that I bring to the table in a lot of companies is just um, you know being able to ideate and um, you know think up of abstract kind of solutions to novel problems. Um, that would probably be the easiest kind of definition. It's still a bit broad. Yeah. But that that's probably the closest thing I could put in words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Without well, going into like very granular detail. Yeah. Well, well, you sort of you sort of answered that question for me. Um, yeah. So uh, this is a. Um, I think this is a pretty cool episode because as as things have been sort of trending in in a new direction, I think. I, I, I pretty much sort of subscribe to this new concept. It's not a new concept. It's just, it's, it's called finance punk. And I see you as sort of like this um, esoteric uh, avatar of this kind of like ideology of sort of like esotericism and, uh, and self and systematic operization. Uh, I don't know if that makes any sense to you. Um, yeah, it, it does make sense. And other people have described me as, you know, esoteric kind of, um, which is kind of odd. I, I feel as though I'm quite exoteric in the sense that I explain a lot of things, but it just seems to be um, quite abstract in the way I do it. Yeah. Um, I've definitely, the last two years, I've, I've definitely tried to put some new. I've definitely tried to um, become more accessible and, um, you know, try to communicate in a way that most people can understand me. Um, and, you know, the onus of, of wanting to, be heard i suppose or wanting to be understood is on me you know a lot of people complain or like no one understands me that's totally your fault i believe um so i'm, I'm definitely trying to you know communicate more with normal people i suppose yeah whatever normal yeah. is um and yeah just uh, just having fun while doing it yeah no definitely i uh, i can i see that because you you write in all caps and a lot of it is very sort of like affirmative and to me, it's it's sort of like as you see these kind of um, older ways of esoteric being, they sort of they 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 all become systematized, and then they become their own sort of like system of 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 logical givens. And I I think it's good to sort of talk about things that are really practical. Like I I would actually I'm sort of starting to trend in this direction of like I want to give listeners some some like something actually practical that they can apply in a in a meaningful way yeah. which is which is honestly one of the reasons why i think you know i i'm more interested in critical philosophy than you know politics for example and why things are sort of headed back that way is just because i think um when you're looking at things non-objectively through these sort of uh these sort of multi-dimensional abstract lenses of abstraction and temporality, you can actually open up new sort of mental pathways to see things differently than maybe the other guy sees them, which I think can be of great personal value as well. Mm, interesting. That was a lot of ground to cover. I mean, some thoughts that, you know, bubble to the forefront of my mind are essentially that I've kind of dealt with the kind of, you know, path of like, you know, reading a lot of books and, inquiring internally a lot and then just trying to find my own mental model um you know and you know go that way but i think a lot of philosophy it's a lot of people i don't know if you, if you study the history of people it's usually that the first idea that they come in contact with is you know it leaves a um like an impression an imprint on them and they tend to see that 
worldview in that kind of lens. So a lot of people who read Marx, they are forever changed by Marx and, um, you know, in some sense, alpha widowed, which basically, mean, uh, basically means that, um, you know, if some listeners are not familiar with the term, is essentially that when a woman, you know, um, meets a sufficiently alpha enough man, he leaves an imprint on her that forever um, changes her and she is essentially sees the worldview um, and compares every single man to him. So in a sense, a lot of philosophers and intellectuals, pseudo-intellectuals, tend to have that kind of, uh, you know, bias in their thinking. And I kind of recognize that um, and I realize, you know, a lot of this is bullshit and I've probably been affected by the same kind of bias. Um, but to go further um, back into my history is, you know, I've been dealing with a lot of these questions and I kind of realized like, okay, um, you know, I know how to explain um, Austrian economics to, uh, you know, a five-year-old, you know, but it's kind of fucking useless if I can't make any money out of it or if I can't improve my own lot. In the sense that, um, you know, like, it's all well, it's all good and well to, like, learn all these things and, you know, pursue knowledge for its own sake. But then again, it's, um, it's kind of false, you know, because, I don't know, I've kind of come to the sense and been realigned um, by quite a few different factors that essentially, you know, you do need to provide a living, you need to provide and acquire resources and, um, you know, ensure your own survival. And that kind of, you know, needs to, that needs to be put at the forefront. And then I've kind of turned away from the, uh, you know, philosophical kind of ramblings and intellectualism that, you know, was very engaging and I still ha like like to revisit it from time to time. But I, I'm trying to just trying to become more practical and I'm in the kind of age now whereby, you know, I do have to go out in the world and, you know, do practical things. I've always been practical and I had like, you know, a two to three year kind of blip where I'm just like reading all the time. And I think a, an interesting analogy um, that the poster Zero HP has often talked about is that when after like at a certain age, like he used to read books all the time. He's probably the guy I know that has read the most amount of books. He said like, you know, when he was like, I think 25 or 26, that he essentially, um, you know, took a long, hard look at his life um, and he sold all his books, like, you know, his entire library, all his books that he collected over years, he sold them all or got rid of them all. I don't know what he did. And then he just bought weights instead. And um, and, and, that, and that kind of like, um, you know, influenced me, I suppose, in some sort of way. Um, and then just to pursue kind of more um, physical kind of things. And then, because, you know, to me, the whole mind-body dualism um, kind of thing doesn't really make sense because your gut you know definitely has influence over your mind uh, and if you're hungry your, your brain is going to think in different ways if you're horny your brain is going to think in different ways so um yeah it's just a logical kind of sense to you know all right i need, I need to be doing xyz and i've come more i've gone more into the kind of philosophy of you know you are what you do in a sense and if you even look back yeah. you know it was always yeah, yeah the mind like, is I, as I, the I, mind does yeah, no, no, Correct. no. I, yeah, so I, I, I actually fully agree with that. Um, but one of the things I, w I was basically going to say is there's, um, I do actually really, really agree with that because, you know, you have all these people who are just sort of engaging in these pedantic, endless games. Um, you know, people, usually very online people who are just sort of, you know, they're just trying to summon their sort of like knowledge as a way to sort of um, distract people from, I guess you would say, the, flesis, the flaccicity of their like own meat suit, which is generally they're, they're pretty nerdy guys, right? They're not really, you know, they're not really working out. They're not lifting weights. So for me, like I read a lot of post-structuralist um, French 
uh, critical theory for years, but I pretty much got everything that I needed to get. Like I actually don't read that much. I, you know, it's like, I, I play for two, I play for two teams, right? And that's it. And, And so I don't play for like five or six or seven different teams. And it's like, how do I take that and reapply it to my own, my own sort of practice of actually trying to make money and do cool things and essentially like acquire some semblance of autonomy and sovereign. It seems to be like people, people don't see that that is actually sort of like the substrate or animating factor of a lot of that, which they do like politics are pretty much fucking worthless. Right. I, in my opinion. Um, yeah. I, w- I wouldn't say it's entirely worthless. Uh, sorry if I'm cutting you off, but um, no, it's not. No, it's not I, entirely I, worthless. Um, I, I, I definitely think the system's broken, and I think it's probably more worthwhile and fruitful for a person to, you know, seek sovereignty as such of yourself. Um, I, I, I definitely think um, it can be saved, but that's probably the optimist in me talking. Um, so, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's very much. Like it's, it's it's very stratified. Um, it's you know well, it's the a question. It's it's a it's a question of not knowing too, because I feel like so much of what people are trying to sell you in the political do- domain, which is I think the interesting thing about Donald Trump is I think there was some instinctual understanding that you know as rational beings, our anthropocent our anthropocentric bodies are are going extinct and we're sort of redefining what the human is. And Zero, he talks a lot about, you know, the kind of like Landian, uh, Lovecraftian angle on uh, blockchain ledgers, right? And and to me, I find that these, these sort of novel infinite forms of intelligence that are not really dialectical, they're not necessarily, they have no sapience, they have no sapient value. And I think that the way we engage with these sort of systems instead of fighting them, because I think this, I think what we're seeing now is not a really a political battle. It's people who are at war with the fact that top-down system governance is is dying. And it'll, it will go away, I think, um, for better or for worse. I personally think for better. I think it's going to, I think it's going to go away at a certain point. And, and so I think people don't realize that we need to sort of reconcile with this reality instead of you know, claiming all this kind of like making moral value judgments on everything. I feel like I, I, w- I would love to jump in here because, yeah. yeah, I think there's a like a through line between that and what what you said earlier, Grit. Um, you know, just this this process by which a lot of people are funneled into these kind of uh, surrogate superego relationships with thinkers and a lot of this is facilitated by academia. And I remember when I was more involved in research and involved in reading a lot of theory and when I was reading like a lot more books, one of the things that I was really thinking about a lot was that the environment of the work and kind of the uh, the being of the work was a lot more important than the work itself. And so if my context for work is like library work. So I thought about like Levi Strauss a lot, like he never left a library, you know, Michel Foucault, similarly, there's a real way in which this kind of like a entire sort of project of metaphysics and post metaphysics um, is complicit in the same kind of humanism that you're pointing to breaking down right now in the sense that 
uh, you know, it's like I am the master of this archive space that is essentially a virtual space. But in, in truth, I'm just sitting in my chair all the time. And, you know, it's like what I think a lot of people are uncomfortable with is the idea that there are certain kind of runaway systems now um, and that, you know, work might look like you plugging yourself into one of these systems for 20 to 30 minutes a day to, you know, achieve some quick effect. And the long term sort of project sort of project style effects that we were preoccupied with in the past, these kind of like almost novel style sort of uh, Western genre effects, which are like, I am building out this entire project. They're, they're being displaced by all of these very quick system effects. And so it's like when I'm thinking about like work, just to take it back to, you know, you know, just being here and, and being embodied in work, it's like, am I going to try and commit a bunch of my, you know, short time to this kind of uh, chair work where I am just enslaved to my chair, enslaved to this archive, or am I going to, in, in order to, you know, produce some kind of uh, nostalgic vision of, of completeness as an intellectual project, or, or can I just, you know, plug into this system that is kind of running away and play, you know, play with it, make bets on it, or make certain kind of predictions that maybe, you know, will profit me. And then I can, unplug from that system and like, you know, go work out or go for a walk or go drink with my friends. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, definitely. I think, I mean, your whole question about work, your point about work for me, it was really, um, I, the work has to be always, um, you know, if you mention work, you have to mention value. And I, I think depending on the kind of philosophy that you follow, um, you know, it's, whole notion and what actually constitutes as value um differs you know for me personally um i'm more of the mind of um it's a bit more abstract it's not you know a one-to-one relationship um there, there's some guy on twitter i don't want to mention his name but essentially you know he keeps going on about how much um you know he hates people who are you know selling uh things services that are very easy to replicate and cost you know like 50 dollars let's say and whereby he spent you know a year and a half just writing a book um you know yeah. I, I don't be wrong i definitely yeah. think yeah. <laughs> uh, you probably know who we're talking about yeah, yeah and yeah. He, he probably spent a year and a half doing quote-unquote work right but whether or not that kind of work has value to um humanity in a sense um is up for debate in my opinion yeah um I, I, I don't think all human efforts are um are equally valuable so for instance you know, then it becomes a, you know, what am I actually doing here? Am I, am I providing value to the world? And, and I think, and I think also that, you know, some people are probably more naturally inclined to do that more philosophical kind of work, um, and which obviously requires a lot of time investment. So you've got, you know, do it again and again and again for a very long period of time. I totally get that. But then, you know, you can't really, in my opinion, complain that no one finds value in it. And, um, you know, you have to, I think, personally reassess whether or not this is bringing, is, is this the best use of your time, um, right. in my sense? I, I, yeah. No, no, I, that, that that makes a lot of sense just because I think um, it's, to de- it's really difficult to define value, but generally there's an energy to value, right? There's, some, there's something to it that I think can... You, you can, it's like something that you imminently understand when you're in the process of creating it or you're, or you're taking, you're taking a part of a system of value creation. And I think that it's, it's something that 
it's something that, you know, you sort of feel in your gut, right? Like I, I kind of actually feel, I was like, is this, is this popping off or is this not? And it, it's something that I see. And usually like the way I see it is we're at this sort of point right now. And I, I don't know if this is sort of like post COVID, um, anthropocentric way of existing, the sort of COVIDian era. But the thing that I notice is that to me, the things that seem the most plausible and that will have the most success and value creation are things that are a working with a broad spectrum of different kinds of intelligent processes and b things that are like fundamentally seen as really insane or retarded to the average person. Um, I think the more insane and outlandish something is like something like Urbit, for example, which is, you know, using NFTs to basically turn a computer into its own private server and just basically reinvent the internet, make an internet 3.0. I I think that things, you know, that are sort of abstract, gifting moons and stars and all these different things that you can sort of buy these, these fungibles, they're, they're, they're symbolic, but they also have, they also have stored value. And, you know, I was talking to some of these guys and they're basically Christians, you know, in that, in that whole scene. And they just see, they see fiat as essentially satanic. And um, they basically, they're just total maximalists on this one system because they see it as almost like a divine retribution for the satanic nature of the fiat currency. And I think, I think that's a really interesting way of looking at it mm. uh, as, a, as sort of like this redistributive okay. form. Uh, and I think it's... Um, I, I, I would disagree with that. I, I would say um, Bitcoin itself is more um, related to Moloch than um, the fiat system. The fiat system is very... Um, you can print more currency and at the moment, due to the fractional reserve banking, it, it usually goes to the top. But one thing about Bitcoin is that it will striate the um, value exchange of humanity a lot more. So it'll be a lot harder to redistribute income if that's the if you are aligned with, you know, philosophically, if you're aligned with, you know, wealth should be redistributed in a, um, you know, a certain way. I, I totally understand it, but I, I, I think they are very um, biased in that sense that say, oh, yeah, Bitcoin is a savior. And I think that's mainly due to you know, having huge financial incentive to you know, have that bias. Um, I, I definitely think that Bitcoin, um, you know, it's a monetary system and, you know, to use their own value systems of um, you know, Christianity, it you know, completely tears itself apart. And I, I, I'm in circle with these guys. I don't mind them, but I, I definitely like to, uh, you know, poke at this, be like, you know, but, you know, but, you know, this is what um, your Bible says about uh, you know, hoarding wealth and redistributing. <laughs> I, I definitely think that um, Bitcoin um, will, ha- has a more linear view of what uh, value exchange is. And because d- due to the deflationary nature, people will only spend money on things that actually provide more value, um, you know, because of inflation, um, we, you know, we, we want to spend money and, you know, it's incentivized to spend money and we have this whole consumerist nature. I totally, I totally understand both arguments. Um, but, you know, to, to say that uh, Bitcoin is, you know, the savior of mankind is actually, you know, quite the opposite. You know, it's probably yeah. going well, 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 to work for Bitcoin. Yeah. Well, I, well, there's the, there's the whole other argument about the sort of um, energy costs and ecological expenditure it takes yeah. to actually harvest and mine this technology, which is, at a certain point, people say, well, there are a few different arguments. There's one that says, well, NFT2 will be more 
Uh, I mean, ETH2 will be more efficient to mine, and therefore, you know, this these sort of short-term costs that could basically bring about, I think, total uh, eclipse, right? Um, they could be they could be intersecting at a point where we simply do not know because I think ETH has the same um, energy expenditure as like the for a year as the entire uh, island of New Zealand. And so I think, so I think that we're sort of seeing this, this, this kind of bifurcation of where ecology and post-humanism and all of these things are sort of, it's like where the rubber really meets the road. And I think it's a really interesting time, but, um, can we automate or invent a new stratosphere out of the the distributive model of Bitcoin say that it's not going to these kind of like national natural science institutions that have their own set of blind thoughts and, and biases. And I don't think that's true. So do I think it's the savior of humanity? No, but at the same time, I'm a little bit of a nihilist in that I don't think anything is. I'm the kind of person I, I find more value in saying things like I don't know. And then in that, in saying that mm-hmm. I don't know, I can then say, well, everything is beautiful. I also think that I think that one one thing to hold on to, you know, I, I definitely don't think it's the savior of mankind, but at the same time, I think it's really interesting that we're seeing this kind of messianic aesthetic for finance and for uh, just kind of engaging in these in these new economies in general. And so it's like you have on the one hand these sort of like messianic Bitcoin boosters who you know, some of them, like, I feel like I've even heard heard Justin talk about like Catholic blockchain and stuff like that. You know, some of them are very like serious about like the theological connotations about it. And uh, and then on the other hand, you have kind of uh, Bitcoin doomsayers, people who because like when I hear that, I'm like, I, I do think the environmental impact is serious. But I also do think that that will definitely be something that is resolved. And at the end of the day, you know, it's New Zealand's it's not the biggest country. And there's like there's other there's other things to worry about for climate change, but you do still get with with people on the left like a very uh, uh, you know an end of days narrative surrounding Bitcoin as being this kind of uh, so I, I think it's interesting that just as a signal I, 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 it rouses up this kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I would pose a mirror to that. I would say like so um, I would say to people who are very um, let's say you know they're into Bitcoin, they're very intellectual. Um, and I would hold a mirror to them and be like, okay, you, you're starting to look like the, you know, the ideological people that you are sort of vehemently against, you know. So, you know, they're going on and on about Bitcoin. Well, like, you know, a communist will go on and on about Stalin. And I'm, I'm just like, you know, there's better things to do and talk about sometimes um, than just go on about your, you know, your crypto religion. Um, and it is a crypto religion in the sense that, you know, they have a whole, you know, value system and a cult and, uh, you know, a whole savior uh, which is Bitcoin that they're starting to worship, and I, I definitely think that is a good point to raise. Me personally, I don't think there is a, any environmental issue with um, Bitcoin. I, I, I think that the whole notion of um, environmentalism is a is a fraud, in the sense that um, um, in the sense that you know it can be it will be resolved. And I think what we're starting to see now is um, there's going to be a huge nonlinear uptick of um, you know renewable energy and new energy sources. Right. Um, and you know it's going to you know the, the energy grid is essentially going to decentralize. That's my opinion. On the other end, I think that Bitcoin is a um, is a great way of fostering collaboration between the you know humans. 
Um, and, you know, again, sometimes it is good to uh, stratify some aspects of human interaction. So, you know, like there's a, a, I can't remember his name, but he talks about the global stack in the sense that humanity will start 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 to form like ecologies on a global scale. And I think Bitcoin is one of those kind of things. And the environmental cost to Bitcoin or the electrical cost rather is is very much the kind of cost that we would use to have a system that um, the benefits of which are, you know, you know, collaboration on a human wide scale. So, you know, what's the cost of, you know, the internet in a sense? Um, so I, I think to, I, to, I think the total um, electrical cost is totally um, valid. And I think we should increase the amount of electricity we use, mainly on the notion that, you know, as if electricity goes up, we're going to find new and novel ways to, um, you know, circumvent well, this problem. Well, I think, I think a lot of the issue is I'm, I'm pro-nuclear energy. So <laughs> um, I think that would solve a lot of the issues. Uh, it's just, it seems to be that people don't want to, um, they don't want to embrace it because they, they, they associate it with, you know, Chernobyl and all these sort of like Promethean disasters. And I, you know, to me, I understand that you say it's a cult. I think it's interesting because you have grit cults in your name, but I have the sort of theory that out of this sort of Covidian era, there would be these kind of, these new, um, eschatological realignments and so you would start to see things like um, internet sex trafficking cults, which you've seen with the, the quote-unquote tumble. And I had this sort of theory that, and QAnon is a perfect example, I think, of a sort of novel eschatology um, where people are flocking together to kind of reify these um, these almost very, I think, beautifully nihilistic ideas. And I think that, you know, I think that people are very afraid of this. And like I said, I think the biggest issue between human beings and one of the greatest drivers of alienation and atomization is that you have two different sets of people who are embracing very, really wildly different, and not, not just two, because there's a lot more, but you have a lot of different groups of people uh, embracing different variants of subjectivity or gestel or how they see themselves or how they operate in the world and what the end of existence may look like. Uh, and so I just, to me, I think you're seeing a lot more cultic behavior uh, popping up. I don't know if, yeah. Grit, if you have, oh. No, go ahead. You should go, Grit. No, I totally agree. I think this is going to increase because um, what happens is I, th I think humans are biologically wired to have, you know, a certain in-group, out-group kind of upper limit. Um, you know, the I can't remember the name, but it's, it's the figure that's at 150. Um, it's been a long day, so I can't remember the name, unfortunately. But yeah, so that, that fuck, I don't know, I'm just kind of obsessed with names. What is it called? I don't know, but it's, it's an upper limit that's correlated with, um, you know, human brain stem size. Um, so essentially, yeah, we, we create in-groups and what's going to happen because there's so much information out there on the internet. I think these in-groups are going to become more and more fringe. Cults are going to rise up. And we, we're seeing this with just in, you know, basic internet trends whereby um, you're having, you know, a slow, like, radicalization that's increasing in how radical it's actually becoming. So you have like furries that are, you know, they read Ted Kaczynski and they yeah. are anti-civilizational, but they're furries, you know, 
um, they are very much products of civilization. Um, so it, it's just becoming these kind of, or like you have like these guys called um, Nazi um, Bolsheviks or I don't know, Nazbols, I don't know. And then you have Nazbol, and then like a year later, you have like people who are Nazbol furries, and then you have people who are like, you know, in polyamory, Nazbol furry, so like sex. So like it, it's becoming more and more <laughs> radical, mainly because the, the amount of information um, that is out there is increasing. And, you know, humans have a desensitized, like, you know, the hedonic treadmill, right? Yeah. So as, uh, the more we go into these kind of rabbit holes whereby, um, you know, you become radicalized due to, oh, you reach a fringe and then it becomes a normal. So like last year, Twitter was um, probably less normal, probably more normal than it is now. And, and that's quite saying something, right? So, and, you know, right now it's quite radical. But last year, we thought, what we thought was radical has become a bit, has become normalized, mainly due to the, you know, or we, we just gotten used to it. And this is just going to continue to increase. So, I mean, I would argue that, you know, the um, the radical Bitcoiners, uh, whatever you want to call them, um, like they, they essentially fell down the rabbit hole of Bitcoin and then they were, um, you know, no crash into other ideologies. And they just continued to go on and on and on. And that's what's happening in many different fronts. So it's, you know, multi-directional um, and what's happening, I, you know, I call this fat tail society. Essentially, you know, things are becoming more random um, just because the amount of like, I, I don't know, let's say actors or nodes available, you know, to interact with are increasing. So, you know, I'm connecting with you guys um, and, you know, I, I've got like, you know, my own, my own ideologies that I've seen that I've you know, wrestled with, you guys have got your own ideologies and we're now interacting, we're exchanging memes, let's yeah. say, and you know, hopefully yeah. there's gonna be some sort of synergy um, whereby, all right, I take something away from you, you guys take something away from me and we develop this new kind of uh, daughter ideology where it's, it'll be, it'll, there'll be like some sort of like, you know, it's newer, it's, it's a bit more radical and we, and we are attracted to this because it's, uh, you know, it's intellectually engaging. And I'm, I'm guessing that all, all of us on the call here are, you know, we are quite high in openness, so we want to see new ideas. Yeah, we want to interact with like new kind of things, and uh, these kind of people are the most kind of you know ex exploratory, I suppose. Um, so I don't know. So like you got to balance that with conscientiousness. So um, you know, if a person is just co constantly going through these rabbit holes, they're going to get psyoped, and you know they're going to do God knows what to their genitals. It's, it's, it's like it's, yeah. you know that has to be. Um, it has to be like um, warnings to, you know, seeking too much information and, you know, it has to be info hazard or memetic hazard kind of warnings. And this, and it goes back to our first point that we discussed, you know, like um, you know, seeking something that's physical or something or something that's practical because like, um, you know, um, values of the mind can just go on and on and on. You know, there's, there's literally no limit in my opinion. Yeah, I think that's a, a really good point. I mean, there are just these new labyrinths that are kind of emerging that we didn't even we didn't even have like the insight to see before <laughs> and they're uh yeah they're really you know i remember the first time i saw like the the whole like uh femboy like wehrmacht nazi aryan thing where it's like <laughs> yeah you should like transition <laughs> to become like a perfect soldier for a perfect like girl dick soldier for hitler and it's just like you get to a point where it's just like wow like you know you can really convince yourself of anything if you're in the right environment and if you're receiving the Correct. right signals and i think yeah. what, what i was thinking was like cult infrastructure is just so cheap and scalable now oh a hundred percent micro cults, right yeah you know yeah, yeah i mean you, you you can you can start micro cults 
that can actually uh, that can actually foment and turn into closed systems of control very easily, as you've seen through like Facebook groups with these kind of um, uh, all white wearing yeah. sex right. cult type of situations where people are then selling their bodies and drinking uh, orange juice mixed with semen uh, to gain certain like shit posting power. Uh, it, no, but I do think that because we're being so desensitized, our, the way we synthesize per, frames per second, uh, the way we uh, adapt to layers of generativity, our adaptability is so incredibly high and complex, and it's biological too. It's it's fully biological how we mediate these spaces. Because let's say there's a guy in a, in a small village, right in you know South America. He does not have the same ability to synthesize these layers of these this absolute onslaught of events and realities and information as somebody like you or me does. But at the same time, you know, he's on more of a direct line of flight in terms of uh, his subjectivity, he, what his influence, and he actually has a deeper ontological connection to the things that surround him. And I think the biggest issue that we have now is, um, you know, we all can agree. And, you know, some of the crypto guys are saying they're like, oh, we're Christians and we're also kind of Marxist because, you know, we think alienation and atomization sucks. Right. Or something like that. And this is a way to get around it. And by engaging in these kind of ideas that I do think are I think that they are grounded. I think that there is some sort of grounding. And I think maybe that's where they reconcile the the kind of like uh, the the kind of catholic blockchain thing is there is there needs to be some sort of mapping for these really sort of fanciful ideas i don't know if that makes any sense yeah if i mean some of it like i definitely resonate with in terms of the whole grounding but i wouldn't say it's um i want to use the word grounding i think i would um you know borrow from deleuze i suppose and say you know all these memes and ideologies, ideologies themselves are being re-territorialized, yeah. Um, yeah. and we're just constantly, you know, piercing the veil in that regard. Like we'll create a new veil, or we'll re-territorialize, and very instantly, in a very quick, um, and it, and it goes, and it does come back to feedback loops, feedback loops, and now very quick, um, very very quick. Uh, due to technology and yeah so like we're able to re-territorialize and deterritorialize in a very short period of time One no thing that, oh, sorry. oh sorry go ahead Barry. well no i do think that's i do think that's correct and i think you know capital as we understand it has a has this sort of incredible ability to kill itself and reanimate itself over and over again so i definitely think there are interesting things that can happen. I don't really subscribe to this um, this kind of economic reductionist view that you sort of see with the kind of like uh, Marxist, anti-woke, uh, sort of politically obsessed people that thinks that everything is somehow subsumed by this um, abstract, you know, tentacly thing called neoliberalism, right? Like, I actually don't believe very much it's part of that part of that is like the Deleuzian in me right because you know that's that's kind of where I come from is Deleuze he's my main guy at least at least from an intellectual or ide or he's 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 fairly non-ideological in a lot of senses and I think that that plays 
there's if you can engage with these things cosmologically and then you know you have people like logo and Kantbot who actually say things that Deleuze is like this uh he's this capitalist self-help guru like Nietzsche and he's just selling you like some self-help book like Jordan Peterson and a, a part of me is like what that's pretty cool what's yeah, wrong with that yeah, it's cool. like what's wrong with that you know <laughs> Yeah. As a, as opposed to what? Um, so, no, I definitely see what you're saying. And it, to, it, I think it's really fascinating the way these mimetic structures kind of like they're forming, and, but and they're not turning into anything real. And I think people are gaining false senses of sovereignty. Like to me, um, you know, I, I think it's good to make prudent decisions and I definitely think applying a certain level of practicality, which is what I like a lot about your sort of whole project, you know, is it's cryptic, but it, as you said, it's very exoteric and you're not being like, come here with me, join my thing. Like, so I don't, I don't know if that makes, um, if what you have to say on that. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a few comments. Um, one comment would be, you know, some people, um, who were pre in a previous life, um, who, you know, they were seeking to be edgy and, you know, they kind of transitioned into, um, let's say, paragons of certain types of um, ideological thought. And, you know, then they realized like, all right, we're done with this. Let's try to be edgy in another kind of way. And, you know, they're very much contrarians. Yeah. And that's what kind of led them to um, communism and Marx. And that's why, like I said, they are very much imprinted by, um, you know, that kind of worldview. And that's why they kind of hate um, anything that, you know, other notions of value. And, it goes, and I think that that's a very important point. You know, their inherent view of value is very, um, like, nihilistic. They don't think you can provide value. So they think anything that, um, like, they, they totally agree, disagree with the notion of self-improvement, I suppose. And I think yeah. a lot of people do, um, mainly because that, you know, their view of value um, feeds back into capital, but that's not exactly true. Um, you know, you had self-improvement before you had capital, in my opinion. You know, back in feudalistic societies, and and, and, and you had capital before you had capitalism too. So, correct. Yeah. Um. And I mean, some other points that I've kind of just lost wind of, um, were is yeah. So, um. Hmm. I mean, yeah. I mean, definitely in terms of self improvement, it you know calling it self improvement just for um you know enhancing productivity is a wrong kind of frame of mind, and. You know, like the people that are corny, that, oh, I do self-improvement, um, you know, like, you know, the post-motivational quotes with birds and cats or whatever. That, that's kind of corny. I totally understand that. But then you should try to um, you know, take a step back and, you know, reassess it philosophically. You know, you know, should I aim to be the, you know, the best I can be? You know, and then it goes back to this notion of eternal return, um, you know, like, you know, and it goes back to what Nietzsche would talk about, you know, in the sense that, you know, you should definitely try to enforce your will. Um, and, you know, sometimes in order to do that, you have to become the kind of, you know, best person you can be. And it also goes back to just this notion of pride. <clears throat> and I think um, current Western philosophy kind of uh, dismisses, uh, you know, the whole notion of, um, I don't know, pride in one's action and honor and culture. I think we've, um, you know, atomized too much in that regard. And I think it has to come back in some way. And I think a good starting point a lot of readers would be the book Hagakure. Um, I that, that's definitely a good book. I recommend it to a lot of people, and it's 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 and you know the effects of it are very similar to um, you know self help, but Hagakure is is you know it's basically a samurai 
who you know just talks about how to live as a samurai in a sense um and how to you know live within a code of honor in a sense um so like these kind of like again like you know a lot of people like you know try to isolate philosophy from self-improvement i think they very much go hand in hand you know why are you reading philosophy you know why are you pursuing knowledge if not for the um you know some sort of self-improvement where you can learn more about certain things um i think that that entire ideological stance against self-improvement um as an integrated system of you know living is completely ideological um and the people that are against it um you know the guys that you mentioned you know they, they go against it mo- mo- mostly because you know they want to be rebel kids well into their 30s and 40s yeah. and you know they just want to like the mental responsibility may be too much for them um they can't handle real life or something i don't know um but you know i i, I generally ignore them um mainly because i don't feel as though they have anything of value to say um, over them you know you know high, high, highly verbose kind of uh, strings of thought that you know they, they think that they get a lot of engagement because of um and you know that leads to you know some sort of signal it, i i don't think that's true i no i i 100% agree with that and i think you see that more and more today um and you know you see a lot of people i think you know one of the big issues is people have this this total um obsession or mental preoccupation with what one needs to do or what one collectively or socially needs to do what one's responsibility is to do socially um to sort of escape like you said you know this sort of feeling of like endless doomer nihilism uh or but they're never concerned with what happens to one what happens to one when somebody when somebody enters into the world and you and you sort of get down to the gestel of everything what what is imprinted onto you and how do you become one with that thing how do you how do you morph like you know this is why the guys i do like the thinkers i do like are very much like ernst junger and and deleuze and people like that who are very much um just people who see things who are very much into they're they're into a, a sort of absolving the self is you know as they say you know desiring machines or in junger's case um yeah. becoming the uniform so, so, so they're sort of against this, I guess uh, you would say, bourgeois notion of individuality, but they're very much for improving one within these frameworks. How do you be the best, most honorable, creative person that you can possibly be uh, given the, the umvelt or the framing that one exists in? And, 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 and that's not something you can just change through reading books or saying you're a communist or any of these other sort of like ideological, um, again, very human-centric views of seeing things that it's always like, well, we as a human must, what must we do as humans? It's like, no, what must I do now? And to I did, me, I, yeah, sorry. Uh, no, no, sorry, I, I interrupted you. I, I, did, I did just, I was thinking about what you said about Younger and um, it just strikes me that there's like uh, just like kind of a distinction that we're hovering around a little bit. You know, when you think about the way that a lot of people's mentalities for sort of just life planning and personal growth and how they choose to act are now being increasingly, you know, as an effect of kind of the 
consume the way that we're consuming politics as kind of consumer media and entertainment media way more rapidly than we have in the past, you know, decades. There's a way in which people's entire sort of, uh, you know, personal constellations are being yoked to these thinkers and being processed through these thinkers. I mean, Marx is like a, is obviously like the most reigning example. And, you know, Marx is, is great in a lot of ways, but I, I do think there's something to be said for what you're pointing to grit in the way that that people are are almost rerouting all of their personal decision making through this map. And then, you know, when you yeah. think of Junger, like Junger, the way he talks about action, you know, I read his essay on pain recently and he gives this great example of like the uh, the Japanese missiles where uh, the per the soldier would crawl into like the warhead of the missile in order to uh, like navigate it. And he talks about like the general, the Japanese general, who when he learns his son like perished at war, um, he like smiles and says, this is great news. And one of the things he talks about is like, your body is like an outpost in war. You sacrifice it as an outpost. And what's being kind of the relationship between the subject and the cause or whatever it is, you know, in that picture, in Junger's picture, is so different from the relationship between like the poster and like Marx as the super ego daddy. It's like a very, it's a very different relationship. And I, I would just, I would, I would love to think about what's at stake there a little bit more because I, I do think that there's, you know, setting aside any sort of discussion of like nationalism or that aspect of Junger, I think that there's, there's a certain kind of like transcendental moral responsibility at stake in that. It's very different from the kind of responsibility you see proliferating as an effect of like current current political, you know, political media. Yeah. Um, so, in my opinion, there's two like very important, interesting points for me to touch on. So, the first point is what you mentioned briefly about the unwell. I am a big fan of general semantics, and you know that borrows a lot with uh, structuralism and structuralist thought. Um, so essentially, like, you know, what you're surrounded by essentially, you know, in effect, you know, shapes you, guides you and, you know, affects your outer exterior worldview, right? So me personally, uh, at a very young age, I was basically taught, um, you know, to always have in the back of my mind death. And I'm a big proponent of memento mori. And I think, you know, this leads to your other point on, you know, transcendentalism, you know, and I think Jonga, I have not read much of Jonga, but um, I do understand a little bit about him. And, you know, he was very much influenced by, you know, his experiences in the war. Um, and I think, you know, you, you can see that in certain, you know, philosophers that were men of war in the sense that they were very much in tune with the human notion, the human body in state of decay or state of like, you know, like the body in itself is very temporary and the things that they can do and like what you can do with your body in your you know short period that is called life uh you know you can you can achieve a lot of different things you know um caesar's racer rank of god after death um and uh so like there's, there's loads of things and i think it comes back to like how um atomized and liberal the person is so a person who's um you know you know, always talking about uh, Marx and stuff. It's like, you know, what we tend to realize now is that they're very affluent. They have time to read these kind of things, and they are not, you know, very practical in a sense. So, you know, they haven't run businesses. They haven't done all these other things. They, you know, are very, um, you know, at atoma atomized. Um, you know, to rehash a point. So it, it comes back to like, you know, what. Are
recommend, and I think a lot of other people would recommend, you know, is getting used to the physicalities of life and getting used to this notion of death. I think that would help a lot. And again, going back to the, my next kind of point is basically politics has now become you know, reality TV. And it's, it's, it's very important to raise this point because all these things are sensationalized. All these things are, you know, used to evoke a kind of feel. It's very theatrical. I don't know if any previous philosopher like Plato mentions it, but he he's against democracy. And I probably, you know, this is why the, theatric, the theatrical nature of it um, is very much, you know, emphasized and it continues to get emphasized because, you know, whatever places the people's emotions on a very large scale, um, you know, tends to win. And one thing I've kind of noticed is that whatever technology that allows for mass communication the easiest will influence the person who is best suited for that kind of technology to become into power. So I think it was um, the radio that got, no, it was a written word that got, or speeches that got Abraham Lincoln in, and then it was radio, I can't remember who, who got in due to radio, but then, you know, um, Reagan was due to television, he was an actor, and then Trump um, got in due to Twitter. Um, so like, you know, that, that's, a, um, that's a trend. I don't think many people have talked about um, you know, like wherever the next kind of main medium of communicating um, to the masses is essentially going to influence who we yeah. will elect. Well, um, or well, or not. I mean, it, it because a lot of people they don't know how to interact with new forms of. People are very conservative in the way in which they apply themselves to different mediums, and I think in that regard, I think you know Trump. It, to me, was more of a comedian and an artist. I think he was a true artist and a poet more than an actual president. And I think it's more fitting that the executive sort of model of, um, you know, top-down governance, like I was saying, is sort of, it's kind of this dying, decaying idea. And in this is something that I talk about. I, I call it transcendental cringe, where it's something is so either like remarkably bad or obtuse that it sort of like rips the fabric of the spectacle in half and reveals something that's like actually incredibly true. And and I think that whoever has, you know, the the best grasp on this, whether it's not something you have to read books on, it, it's something that's like totally fucking instinctual. Whoever, whoever can master this, who, who can play with things semiotically, I think you'll start to see um, popping up again and again and again. And I think it's only because technology is moving in this direction that the people who can, who can sort of expose the, the, the techne or the technological process through basically humor and uh, allegory or uh, not allegory, but just humor and, and, and poetry, I think are going to be really, really, um, I think they're very undervalued. And I think they unlock all these different ways of that uh, of of seeing things and working with things that can be really advantageous. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. I think uh, I've definitely uh, been thinking about. I'm trying to remember. I think it was uh, like crypto crypto transgression in art. I don't know if you saw that tweet, but. Just the idea that transgression as such is becoming increasingly harder to enact in any way that really achieves anything. 
other than kind of just a massive reaction against the transgression, right? So you can think of like a lot of um, a lot of the cancel culture discourse, I think, surrounds this new sort of position that transgression has in art, where transgression no longer really works the way it worked in like the 1930s or 40s in art, because art has, because a, art a, has different a, sort of a different sort of grounding uh, political consensus. Um, but, you know, this idea of creating stuff that's like uh, cryptographically transgressive or that ciphers transgressions in ways that produce more of an experience of just like, uh, you know, confusing comedy um, or uh yeah or, or or disorientation i feel like is is more interesting to me at this point interesting um i don't know the only real thoughts that come to my mind are like um the, this notion of art spurs being commodified um to a point where irony no longer exists um, and we can't distinguish irony from sincerity. Yeah. Or, you know, I think I think it touches upon that a lot. Like whatever you do, um, you know, it's just a kind of reaction to, um, you know, your situation. So, you know, if a person being ironic, it's just like a cry for help in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it, and again, it's not as transgressive as it could have been like a hundred years ago, where we had more um, social norms. Or like irony, I don't know, it's it's also irony is put in service of sincerity in this very uh, disgusting way. Yeah, well, they like, call that they, they've they've coined a term for that. It's called metamodernism. And it's it, which I think right. is I think is really funny because metamodernism <laughs> yeah. is this idea that um, it's OK to conflate the ironic with sincere, which I think is a cope because it's it's basically a millennial disposition and that you were you were given for millennials, they were sort of given this kind of like analog world to navigate. And then they were given this digital mediated world. And so the conflation of irony and sincerity is how they, um, is how they deal with that temporal shift. And I think that's part of the reason why, you know, I'm a millennial. I'm, I'm an, a little bit of an older, you know, I'm early thirties. Uh, but I think it's, I think ultimately it's a cope to deal with the fact that people do not understand that um, this this conflation itself is a misnomer. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, like the, the point that you raised about analog and then digital. Um, yeah, I think that's very true. Very interesting. I hadn't really thought about that in that kind of light. I'd also say that it is cope. But then I'd also counter and say, you know, it's all cope. You know, all ideologies cope. All everything that you're literally doing is cope. And what's wrong with that? You know, you you want a family, that's cool, man. But that is cope. Um, yeah. You might get lonely, that's cope. But that's uh, <laughs> I, I think that's like you know, inbuilt. Like you are you are. If, if you don't have food, you're gonna cope by being hungry. Right. <laughs> um, and I think that's a kind of lens to like you know counteract this whole notion of you know we're too cool to cope or whatever. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. Then, then it just gets into weird territory. I haven't really explored. Yeah, cope is definitely one of those, one of those like in quickly inflating discourses that has like no meaning anymore. That's for sure. Well, I mean, I, I do think at a certain point, you know, when cope becomes this thing, like I said, when it becomes something that's mimetic and not, um, 
basically the the avid execution of lies because I do I think that there's value in the truth in 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 the truth procedure I think that there's a lot of value in at least going through the process of truth like crossing the Rubicon into something into something that is true and something that is you know we may never get to see the one you know we may never things may never achieve oneness but the process the platonic process of doing that with the good i think is something that things automatically they just they center towards and so and i and i do believe in in some sort of restorative justice against things that I would consider to be cope, but I'm not saying this as some sort of mimetic joke. I'm saying this as more of a, as, as something that I think has its own will, right? Yeah. And, and, and I think it has its own will because they, because as these things shatter, as they go away, as, as, as we see um, sort of extinction horizon, like I'm not very optimistic. Like I'll be honest, I'm, I'm, I'm an optimist in all of these short term ways. I'm an optimist in the ways we can, optimize ourselves but in the long run i'm not i'm not i'm not necessarily even concerned with it because on a these bigger cosmic questions um on what to do about you know uh consequence on these scales they just they 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 simply don't interest me in any way so but i do think that when we talk about cope there are people saying well this is a cope well this is a cope well you're saying this on a website that on many different scales can be seen as you refusing to engage in, in, in an active truth procedure in any meaningful way. So you have right. to explicate it here. Right. I think at the end of the day, it's pretty easy to tear people down. And yeah, you know, I'm against that. That, that shit. says a lot about that says a lot about someone when their posture is defined by identifying copes rather than just actively performing like a non coping existence, you know, like, yeah. That's kind of what I feel. I do feel like you're right, though, that there's just like a transcendental, you know, like cope, which is just like lying to yourself, which has just been around forever. And like people, it's fucking common sense not to do that or you're going to fuck your life up. You know, I don't think I, I don't I'm not in favor of like the posting L's culture of just like going around and like uh, yeah. trying to tear people down it's just like it's it's voyeuristic it's like it's like not that different from cuck porn you know at the end of the day it's like you're just watching someone <laughs> yeah. Yeah. like yeah. get cucked in some way and you're like uh just getting off to it and it's not like you're you're not really constructing anything or building anything actively in your own life yeah that, that, that is a very very good way of playing it um totally agree 100 um i don't know my, my own my only i don't know argument is that you know it's um so notion of truth is I don't know I'm not sure where exactly I stand with this whole notion of truth, uh, and it goes, I mean, and the reason why is it goes back to enlightenment. You know, they, they were you know in a sense very much rationalists, and I don't really agree with the modern day rationalists in the sense that I don't either you know, at all um, in any way. <laughs> but, but, but then all. again, you're saying I don't know. Like I, I was I was literally going to ask you. You know, are you a rationalist? Uh, mainly because that like, you know you're you're in this pursuit of truth which in itself is very irrational in my opinion. No, um, no, no, no. It's, uh... it, it, you see, I explained it all wrong, right? It, it's, not, it's not this rationalist pursuit of truth. I think that there, there's multiple ways in which intelligence defines itself. And I, don't, I think rationalism is a very reductive way of describing um, universal 
intelligence. I think I'm actually incredibly anti-rationalist. The only people who I troll online are people who are neo-rationalists, like people like Reza Garistani or Thomas Mo- Moynihan or Benjamin Bratton. Like I am inc- like just to clarify, uh, I am incredibly anti-rationalism. Right? Yeah. So I mean, so sorry. Cool. What, what what were you saying about that? I just keep going. Um, yeah. So actually, yeah. So so I just want to say. Um, Benjamin Bratton is a guy I was trying to reference earlier, but I forgot the name. Yeah, of. you talk about he, the stack. <laughs> you, were, you were talking about the yeah. stack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, you picked that reference up. So, yeah, so going back to my point in terms of rationalism, I think it's kind of flawed that, I don't know, I'm, 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 I'm very much influenced by evolutionary history, but at the same time, I'm quite deeply um, philosophically religious. I, I grew up in a very you know, conservative, orthodox, kind of religious, extremist kind of way, in a sense. I, I want to um, explain it like that, but it was very, you know, steeped into my um, upbringing. So I, w- I would say that, you know, it's it's not so much the search of truth, but rather the search of God. And there's, you know, there's different, many different ways of doing this. So I, I was I was going to say earlier that, you know, you shouldn't seek truth, but rather beauty. But yeah. then again, well, um, that, you know, well, I that's, realize that's that how I that's what that's how I define truth is I I'm always trying to seek oneness, which which is God. I'm not, I'm, I, you see the, the problem with enlightenment is it replaced the search for, it replaced the truth procedure, which is the, tr- the procedure in which one seeks, um, the transcendental with the actual search for rationality and, um, epigenetic function and local and contingent forms of intelligence itself. And to me, this is, I think, really, really, really bad for people to do. I'm just talking on a purely practical level. I think it's, I think it's, I really think it's horrific and I think it kills a lot of people and it kills their spirit. And, and so that's kind of what I'm, I'm more talking about because I'm a little bit more um, into the metaphysical side of things. Right. Well, I think, I think what you're talking about, like just to, if I can riff on it for a second, this idea of like spirit killing, uh, enlightenment, I definitely see in kind of our cultures of self-styling and self-creation and virtualization, whereby we attach a lot of uh, true, we, we attach a lot of significance to proving within these kind of local contingent domains of like our, our social sphere or our social media context. We attach a lot of significance, or, or many people do, in, in to proving certain things. And so, just to give an example, and I mean, I don't, I don't really mean to even shit on this. You know, like I said, don't tear people down. People should do what they want. But it's pretty funny the whole the whole neo pronoun thing. With with you know, I saw some recent tweet about this guy who's like very, very much wants people to call him tree and like identify him as a tree, and he he feels like all people like come from trees. And there was this great thread i think it was like yerk or something had this thread about like uh just like the uh culture of like virtualization and you can become any virtual identity and this becomes kind of the new ground of your truth and you need to contest like you need to desperately contest this because you know you see these neo pronoun people people who are like i'm kitten and kitten self like they're they're getting into extreme arguments you know getting heated up against people who are, are never going to respect their neo pronouns or whatever, and uh, and I just think you see a shift to like this new domain of subjective articulation that you know was really 
incomprehensible to us even 20 years ago through platforms. And uh, I think it's an extension of the way that like enlightenment uh, operates, you know, kind of as an implicit condition of these platforms. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I just find it interesting the way that you're seeing, and I think it kind of lines up with the stuff we were saying about cults before, all these kind of cultic domains of, uh, you know, new, new truth testing and truth articulation and new sort of battlegrounds for truth telling, um, which are really, really just unplugged from any horizon and exist basically entirely within like the uh, kind of, uh, you know, just density plot of liberalism where everybody is a certain kind of identity point on this massive three-dimensional density plot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, that definitely makes sense. Shout out to uh, Yaka, he follows me as well. Um, yeah, the thing is, I don't know, it's weird. I, I was always taught to be, you know, extremely polite, um, you know, in all social kind of um, interaction. So if someone wants me to call them a certain thing, I probably will. Um, you know, I don't know, that's just how I was raised. I probably may not agree with it, but um, Same here. I that's, it's important. That, that's kind of like, that, that is separate in my opinion. Um, but also, I also think about that, uh, you know, how quickly this has come about. You know, in the last 20 years, this shit would have been, you know, mind-blowing. You know, like, <laughs> some of the things we talked about earlier, you know, like if we went back in time, you know, a person's mind would explode. Um, but I think also in like 20 years' time, I don't think it's going to last. It's just not stable. And, you know, this is like some people try to say, what is a cult? And what's, you know, how is it different to a religion? So, um, you know, one of the main things is, is, you know, the size of it. You know, how many people are in a cult versus religion and how long it's actually lasted. So I think this is a huge thing and I don't think it will last. I think there are always like, you know, blips like these, but none, it's never been a time such as this whereby, you know, you're able to have these kind of cults and, and they say, you know, places such as the Silk Road or places where there was huge amounts of trade where people had an incentive to go to um, and exchange information. I'm sorry, that's my phone. I had an um, ability to exchange lots of information. You know, they'd there'll be you know these cult leaders rising up, and there'll be like these small, um, very radicalized kind of people. But the thing is, then, like, because we're in an information highway called the internet right now, um, you know, contact points of these increase. So you know, all the three D maps, you know, if you visualize, um, you know, there's particles in a gas versus solid kind of state. You know, right now it's all heating up because there's so much. Ease, there's lower entropy required to engage with someone across the world with radical ideology. So, you know, we're constantly bumping into different ideologies. Well, the memes are constantly bumping into another ideology and like forming new new shapes and evolution of memes in a sense has radically increased velocity um, of which, you know, they reproduce in a sense. Um, so, yeah, I think a lot of people are worrying about, oh, yeah, decay. Um, I think that's an entirely separate conversation to what's actually happening. I think a lot of the things are brought on by, you know, just technology being not used in a kind of right way. I don't know what right is in this context. Right. No, I definitely agree. And I, I you know, I think um, I kind of started this project um Almost, you know, when coronavirus hit, I was I was kind of thinking we would we would be returning to some sort of primitive state, you know, some hylozoistic state where, you know, 
uh, deities can kind of reemerge and um, we can sort of be re-enchanted again. You know, for example, the whole idea that, you know, I thought I thought this was going to be sort of like an like a spiritually healing process, but it 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 gave way to something. I think um, very quickly I started to pick up on the fact that it it was giving way to something. I think uh, much more insidious and in further um, graying and atomizing than what I initially thought. I, I but I do think on a certain level. Um, this this period has been incredibly meaningful for me. Like I've created the, as much the most value and meaning, and I've probably been my most productive in this period than any period of my whole life. And that's sort of including moments where I've I've made pretty good money. Uh, and I I just feel like I've met certain people and connected in ways that I think I think actually interesting good things can emerge from those connections. But you had to bear it out. You had to ride the tiger. You had to be consistent. And I think, especially now, one of the biggest things on a just purely practical level, I think consistency is really key. And I think it's almost impossible in this day and age to do anything um, truly, I guess you would say useful as we, as we try to, you know, define use, usefulness and value to do things of value. They, they have to be things that are, that are reaffirmed through uh, consistency and repetition and repetition is its own variation of intelligence. Yeah. I think that's, I mean, to me, that's the entire lesson of like the music industry right now is that the artists who don't burn out and who last, you know, cause since 2016, really since 2015, since like trap became the mainstream sound, since SoundCloud became like basically- Yeah, it's like, if you don't it. die, you win. Right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, and like all the rappers I followed that have been able to last are, are the consistent ones. And I mean, you can even look at people with, the, with, with bangers, like people like Pump. Like I, I have a lot of love for Lil Pump, but at the end of the day, like no one can look at Lil Pump and be like he's been consistent, and you know he's got a lot to show for it at this point. As where yeah, Young Dolph yeah. has been really consistent. Yeah, his highs yeah, have sure. never been as high as other is been have been that great, but the consistency is always there, and he, you know he's smart about what he does. Like I'm a big rap fan, you know, big Chief Keef fan. So I, I, I know you are too, Grit. You, I, I think, you, I think you get into that. Yeah, yeah, I, I am. I'm a big fan of all the names you mentioned. Um, I don't know. I don't know. It depends what you mean by um, consistent. You know, are they consistently on top of the charts, or are they consistent in their own kind of niche and field? Um, I'd say one I person. Guess I guess I just meant. Go ahead. I just meant drop. I just meant working at it. I just meant doing it. You know, not even any results. Any 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 sort of like. Uh, I mean, at least what I took from what you were saying, Barrett, was just like you need to be. Uh, you know, like auto poetically consistent you need to just perpetuate your own consistency and it, it's not even necessarily about whether your charts are getting consistent you know obviously that's hopefully the outcome but i think that what i took away from it at least was just that there is this kind of like new power just to consistency in itself that uh you know is worth acknowledging yeah i, I definitely agree sir um maybe I don't know, one thing I'll probably reference is that the world is more random. So your chance of a banger is, you know, I don't know, like as long as you keep putting them out, it's, it may get picked up. So if, if you increase the amount of tweets you write, um, you know, eventually one's just going to take off and, you know, your entire backlog may get picked up as well. I think that's the kind of the case. 
um, with a lot of these artists, like, you know, they'll have like one good song per album, maybe. But like, you know, they make time, you know, they make an album a year. So like, they're never out of the loop. Um, so, you know, by virtue of volume, they you know, are able to iterate. You know, yeah, iterate and, you know, stay on top of the charts and stuff. But, um, hmm. I don't know, it's an interesting way of putting it, consistent. Um, yeah. I guess another thing I was I, I thought about was kind of a printer, et cetera. I, I think it's because um, there's so much information out there now, and the noise to signal ratio can be quite um, bad, I suppose, in certain senses. So yeah, so I think what he did was like you know he created a brand, and he was just very consistent with that brand. Um, you know he's putting out the same message, so when people thought of then they just thought of him, and it it's, and it's like parking up space. Or you're carving out space in a person's kind of mind, the right. peripheral <laughs> kind of space. So it, it's yeah, it's, I mean, it is a co um, common branding tactic. I think um, Ogilvy said something along the lines of, "You need to show someone your ad like eight times before they before they buy." So and, and someone else said to me like, "If, if you want to get good at business in terms of like selling stuff, you need to raise your awareness. And once you have your awareness about, you know, they are essentially going to think of you and they want to solve a problem." Um, so it's like people had this problem of like modern life and Lindy man, even though he's extremely online and lives a non Lindy life, he talked about this kind of thing whereby, you know, <laughs> it's, um, he's branding himself, even though he doesn't adhere to his own, um, you know, philosophical values. And, you know, that is a notion of a fraud, but, you know, carrying on, like he created a brand and, you know, yeah. he, now he's selling out and grifting, um, and trying to create a lifestyle brand out of right. what he's trying to talk about. Yeah, I. But you said raise your awareness. Could you could you go into that a little bit more? Yeah, sure. Um, so like, so a lot of people like I don't know if I were to talk about cults for a year, right? People would be like, "Hey, that's a cult guy," um, or the cult man. <laughs> um, so essentially, it's awareness is like association with like you know certain mimetic signals. So um, when you think of Nike, you think of just do it, and you think of um, sports and fitness so they rose awareness to be parked inside your brain um and so a lot of people and i think it goes back to cults i suppose in some non-linear kind of way whereby you're essentially saying all right i'm associated with this and you're raising your own awareness to this so a lot of people in terms of branding so like i only started tweeting in caps like two months ago but you guys were like hey you tweet in all caps like as a as a statement of like fact that i've always done it so like I just kind of raise awareness in that respect, and I, you know, I wrote a bunch of tweets, um, you know, and I scheduled them for like you know two three months, and um, you know people were like, all right, this guy just tweets all caps all the time, you know, even something's wrong with him. But essentially, what I'm doing is I'm I'm trying to differentiate myself from you know the noise essentially, and you know create my own kind of signal, and you know do my you know, branding. And it, personally, it came like it's, it's kind of natural to me. But what I'm doing essentially is like you know. A form of personal branding and obviously you guys have your own internal kind of um, languages languages in the sense of like you know structural kind of sense whereby you have your own internal code your own your own memes that you communicate with you probably you know would say something that you know the outside layman would not understand so you know what um lindy man was essentially doing by talking about lindy all the time he, he was trying to initiate you into his own personal cult um and you know he would associate himself with the kind of brand um, that he has, you know, he didn't invent or anything, you know, and Talib probably, you know, 
brought it up and you know even before then you know there were certain people talking about lindy the lindy effect um so so yeah yeah so um yeah he's associated with himself so uh, like if if you, if you were to talk so in on another side of twitter um called they called themselves money twitter like you know they'll talk about this a lot so like they'll just const- consistently tweet about like cold email for instance and you know there'll be a guy called um cold email um you know superstar or something i don't want really name names here but um you know he he would you know he will tweet, he'll tweet about that in his in his name there is what problem he solves um and why people should follow him and you know they've kind of and, and they're kind of bringing this kind of business aspect to it um to twitter posting and i'm kind of at the, I, i'm at the juncture because i'm i feel as though i'm very open-minded and i like to see interesting and new things i'm always interested in new kind of spheres that are bubbling up and i'm always like you know interacting with people from spheres that are outside my current um domain at the moment so i'm interacting with these guys a lot um and i'm seeing all right you know these guys are trying to build a cult and i can see all right you know in terms of like because i worked in fashion i studied fashion briefly um at csm central st martin's oh wow so essentially oh, wow. that's really cool i did not know um, so like essentially the sort of trends in like um technological uptick so if, if someone wants to you know like so for instance clubhouse like you know it was an internal they had like the internal language they had some sort of exclusivity and they they created a problem that you know they were offering to solve you know oh yeah um you know discourse on the internet is you know it's impersonal there's so many trolls We'll have an invite-only system where you can talk to influencers and meet cool, interesting people. Whether or not that model is sustainable is another question, but that's kind of branding that they've done. And it's very similar to raising awareness about that kind of problem that they're solving and associating themselves and, you know, carving out brain space or whatever you want to call it in people's heads. Yeah, well, no, that's that's actually really enlightening for me to hear because I've sort of taken... I've sort of taken an opposite approach to things in that I, I name things very generically. I do things because, you know, I, I have this, I guess I have this sort of inherent fear of, of ideological capture. Like I don't want to create anything that can be too easily systematized. Um, even though those are the things that take off on their own. But one of the things I will say is through the repetition of just, engaging and doing something even if you're not repeating the same tropes things end up they sort of like pick up traction like and you and and you also gain trust and loyalty um that way as where if, if somebody's doing things and they're grifting a little too hard and they're being a little too huckstery with their with their sloganing and their messaging i think yeah. I, you know it's very much a, a, a dual-edged sword and so i think that the repetition of action uh versus the repetition of mimesis i think i think in the end you can you can really you can you can win out that way too yeah i mean i think there's there's probably nothing more powerful than if you do have something in your life whatever it really is that you can you know repeat over and over again you'll always get different processes you'll always get deeper into your practice you'll learn more about your practice and, I, and I you can export is, that as well. And I know you, exactly. you, and you, I don't know how much more time you have a uh, grit, uh, cause it's coming up on uh two 30. So I've got about 30 minutes. That'd be cool. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I usually, I usually keep it around an hour and a half so we can, we can wrap up soon. Whatever you want, okay. man. 
it's up to you, man. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, cool yeah, you. yeah. If you want to, if you want to go into, you know, some UX stuff or your or your your moment yeah. uh, with a fashion design uh, and stuff like that, that would be cool too. Yeah, I'd love to hear cool. about that, man. The kind of the more global top level observation is just that I feel like it's really hard to predict what specific sectors in tech are bubbles or not. Um, you know, from a five to 10 year down the line thing, you know, even when I look at things like machine learning and stuff like that, knowing, you know, knowing what I know about the hardware, it's still hard for me to say, you know, I have a lot of confidence that it's going to continue to improve and continue to be, you know, a, a growth sector. But, uh, you know, yeah. it's hard for me to have confidence about where, where the limit necessarily is. Um, cool. especially because certain applications aren't coming through. And so that's just one example. So it's, uh, that's kind of the global observation. And the more specific one I'm interested in as far as fashion and, and all that goes is, you know, one thing I'm looking at a lot these days is like wearables and thinking about whether or not in any time in the near future, that's really going to be much of an adoption sector. Because I, uh, I definitely think that there's a lot of interesting stuff on the horizon when it comes to AR and VR enabled wearables, you know, kind of IOT enabled wearables. Uh, you know, this isn't something that fashion cares about at all right now. Um, but yeah, I guess I, I'm curious. I'm curious what you think about all that. It's a little bit more practical, a little bit more like market analysis stuff. But if you're interested in diving in. Cool. Um, I just wanted to touch upon a point earlier um, that I think um, you know, Gerardian Mimesis is an incomplete system. I don't think he finished it, mainly because, um, you know, the philosophy that he presents is that it's a closed system where, you know, X, Y, Z happens. But I don't know, from my personal experience and observation is that, you know, you can hijack the system and um, you, you don't necessarily have to have this, uh, you know, um, self-sacrifice. Um, you, you can provide other scapegoats or, you know, provide a mimetic injection whereby, you know, you're implanting certain things or, um, you know, you're providing other archetypes. Um, but yeah, to touch on your questions, um, tech adoption, again, it, like, I, I kind of use like these meta kind of, I, I don't know, I kind of boiled them down now into seeing what's, you know, related in say, you know, fashion trends and what's going to be related to tech trends. So I, I kind of see this in a different kind of, um, you know, different systems, um, but my kind of reasoning and rationale are very much the same, you know, same kind of principles that can be, Applied, I feel as though in many different fields. So that's what I mean. People think that I'm in very different fields, but I'm kind of using the same kind of system um, of you know basic human interaction, and I boil down to these you know. And I kind of started that evolution. That's why a lot of my thought go, goes back to like you know nature, nurture, you know these very fundamental questions. Mm. Um, so yeah, in terms of tech adoption, like how do I how, how do I make um, basic assumptions? So. What I kind of do, I, I kind of see the meta trends whereby um, the biggest one is probably demographics. You, know, demo you hear these people talk about demographics as destiny, um, but they haven't really ex explored it in the sense of you know tech adoption. So you're going to get a lot more diverse people um, just everywhere, really. It's like even in countries. So like, for instance, Thailand, you're going to see more Western immigration to Thailand and you're going to see more Oriental immigration to, let's say, the, the West countries. Um, so that's just going to be a cross kind of uh, travel so you know i think i think that's going to increase and then what i kind of do is you know just say i assume that you know um the cost of traveling is going to decrease based on xyz factors and one of the factors is that oil is probably going to keep going down um 
mainly because renewables are picking up and demand for oil um, is going down in a sense. You know, I'm making a prediction on uh, solar energy and you know the whole Tesla gigafactory kind of shit. Um, so, and then going back into you know oil, there's a huge amount of like oil um, that's you know that has already been um, you know basically pumped and it's just in storage. And you know Aramco, probably biggest company in the world, um, just has huge amounts of oil supply. Um, so you know the assumption of fuel prices are going to go down um and you know it's increasing demand mainly because of you know globalism providing um less arbitrage between um developed and developing countries so for instance um, now you are able to log into twitter uh, make money in a third world country um, i know loads of people in third world countries that are making five figures a month um so it's it's, it's like arbitrage um opportunities are decreasing so that means there's just going to be more homogeneous kind of trend of um, society and the world in general so i kind of mm -hmm. think okay what will benefit that kind of world and then i back cast up so instead of forecasting you back cast from a point of view that you've already forecast into in a sense and then you'd make it all right so twitter twitter usage is going to increase and twitter is not going to die because they're going to take xyz course so a lot of people say oh twitter's dying gab is going to rise they said that 2016 or whatever it didn't happen um, user base of Twitter has probably increased after Trump has been um, assassinated, uh, not assassinated, um, terminated his account. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so essentially, like these kind of assumptions, just like they just feed into each other, and um, and I think a lot of it is like due to like goes back to the foundation of what humans are like. Um, people and Peter Thiel, and I, I've tweeted so many times. Peter Thiel says he complains, in fact, that. Oh, we don't have flying cars. We have 280 characters, but again, you know, it goes back to his faulty, um, not faulty, but like it goes back to his Gerardian view, whereby you know you have this kind of system. But like, you, he, I think the Gerardian view should go even back, even further into human evolution, and kind of use that as a basis for what is one of the main things that humans desire is communication, and you know, it's it's this novelty sense. What's the most interesting way of like introducing novelty? Is you know pictures of cats, funny, funny stuff, humor. Humor is a function of novelty, in my opinion. Um, you know, you you laugh at new things more than you laugh at old things that you know you've laughed at before. So it's it's like you know human nature. It's like one of my biggest mental models in terms of you know making these kind of uh, you know what's going to be used, what's not going to be used. Um, and I don't know. I'm actually consulting for a few startups now. And you know, one of the main questions they want is, you know, how do we create a cult-like user base? And uh, so, a lot of these companies, you know, they want cult followings. And you know, and, and I say to them, like, you know, how are you providing, you know, these these deep-set human needs, right? How how are you providing the need for connection, the the need for community? You know, this whole tribalism. People complain about tribalism, but it, you know, it's a feature, not a bug. Yeah. Um, so in a sense that you know it's, it can be hijacked, of course. Um, so but you know, do you think it's like? Do you think it's more a matter? Because I guess usually when I think about tech adoption and startup adoption, especially for software, I think a lot about UX, and I think about like, is this a loop? Is this a loop that is rewarding, and is a loop that is like scalable and will be perpetuated and will will be like a contagious loop, the basic kind of loop that is in the product? And it sounds like you're kind of saying. 
there's there's almost like a world building component or like a symbolic yeah uh aesthetic component to it that you think a hundred percent no no that's uh, yeah i think this is actually a really good place to to yeah wrap up is no that 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 makes total sense is the whole you need a narrative and i think when people see um some sort of collective space and narrative and when when people see one person existing on the internet it's very very difficult for them to build that that narrative picture in their mind. So, yeah. Yeah, 100%. Um, it's very much narrative-based. Um, I know some guys that are basically, like, they're doing sci-fi kind of narrative. They'll help companies come up with their own narrative. And then this narrative will basically align their actions and philosophy and all, all this other business kind of stuff and just help them in that regard. Um, I think that's very interesting you know, sci-fi consulting, whatever you want to call it, narrative consulting. I think that's very interesting. Um, to touch on your question regarding the wearables, I think, yeah, technology will get there eventually. I'm currently wearing um, an Ura ring that basically tracks my met some health metrics. Um, I think, you know, batteries, I think, I think batteries becoming wireless has probably been one of the best things um, for, you know, technology in a sense, mainly because it makes it more aesthetic. It, you know, you're not tied down. It's not you know, wiry. You know, you can you can the user experience of wireless technology is so much better. It's it's unbelievable, and I think you know slowly it'll become you know naturalized. So um, you know you'll have wireless charging everywhere. So if you have like smart glasses, you can just wirelessly charge them. I think we're going to get to a point where you can have these like Tesla pylons that's just constantly um, you know wirelessly transmitting energy to places. Um, Probably, you probably could do that through like six generation radio waves or something. I don't know. Um, but it's, you know, because like magnetic, because wireless char charging is essentially a magnetism. Um, you know, you have magnet and you transmit a signal that's going to charge, that's twisting the magnet and that's creating a force. That's, yeah. So, I mean, I, I think that's a really good thing. I think it's definitely going to take off, maybe not as quick as people hoped. Uh, again, it's like, you know, they were arguing from a rational kind of view. I mean, a linear kind of view, whereas, you know, adoption is usually non-linear. So, for instance, if right. you see a lot of, you know, they have the S-curve, whereby it, there's like slow adoption for a very long period of time. Um, I remember back in, you know, um, 2015, people were saying, oh, yeah, Bitcoin is going to go to 100K. It's going to follow this linear pattern. But you know, obviously, history has taught us something different. I think it may hit quite high amounts. Um, you know, I have bashed on Bitcoin quite a lot, but I am, you know, I am a proponent of Bitcoin. But I, I, I like to, you know, make sure people understand, you know, both sides, I suppose. Um, but yeah, it definitely is nonlinear. I think it will take off. I think the wireless th um, thing helped a lot. Like, uh, so battery technology has to improve for it to be more feasible. Hmm. Wow. Totally. No, that's super helpful. And yeah. I, I appreciate your giving us a read on your kind of overall look. Yeah, that's great. Wow. No, su super fascinating stuff. This was this was excellent. And um yeah, uh, I think I think I think it pretty much nails it personally. I th I think that's a good that's a good place, you know, keep it keep it like hour and a half. But yeah, um yeah. that was uh that was great, man. It's good talking, you know. We'll be we'll be in touch because uh, I definitely want to want to pick your brain on some more things. You there's definitely some <clears throat> very enlightening information in there. So appreciate.
Okay. Well, yeah, cool. man. Thanks for talking. It was yeah. great chatting. Yeah, man. It's, it's been a pleasure. Um, yeah, thank you guys for having me on. So,